calling all podcasters, musicians, vloggers, and reporters, and everyone else who wants crystal clear recording that's super portable. The Shure Motive family of microphones makes studio quality audio that's as simple as plug and play. Many of the world's top podcasters rely on Shure, and with a Motive line of iOS and USB microphones, portability is now your friend. Imagine being able to get great audio quickly and easily from your phone, tablet, or computer. Simply visit Shure.com slash Motive to start getting great audio for your content now. That's S-H-U-R-E dot com forward slash M-O-T-I-V. Pitch softball coming to you live. Always got away. Always got away. Let's start all over again. Hey, this is Manuel Ferrero from International Slow Pitch Softball, coming to you live from Sports Grill in Kendall. And on tonight's show, we have a very special, special guest, Billy Corbin, director of Cocaine Cowboys Part One and Part Two, as well as the U Parts One and Two from ESPN Films Thirty for Thirty. Plus, our health topic: sleep with Dr. Ray, of course, and Doc, uh, sorry, and of course, sports with the sports dwarf, David Dwork. Start calling in to the show and get on the Hot Corner Show. The hotline is 347-637-3978. Welcome to the Hot Corner Show on the ISPS Radio Podcast Network with your host, Dr. Ray, the softball-playing chiropractor and the official chiropractor of ISPS, and Manuel T. Ferrero III, the commissioner of international slow-pitch softball. Listen to the Hot Corner Show every Wednesday night at 7 p.m. Eastern right here on the ISPS radio podcast channel. Call the show at 347-637-3978 and talk sports and health topics with Dr. Ray. Plus, slow-pitch softball from around the world with Manuel T. Ferrero III, fantasy sports, special guests, and more. Call the show now on the special guest call-in hotline at 347-637-3978. Now, bring your A-game, because you're about to experience the hot corner. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Got to wait for the applause every single time. Manny's a rookie. It's not like Sorry, this is man. his 208th show. But anyway, we're ready to rock and roll here on the Hot Corner tonight. It's your host, Dr. Ray, at Dr. Ray T on Twitter. Uh, and I'm here with the man, the myth, the legend, the lion that makes lions, Mr. Manuel T. Ferrero, El Tercero. And uh, we're here. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Manny, how you doing tonight, brother? Dude, I'm doing great. I'm very excited about today's show, man. I think today's going to be a tremendous show, at least for me, you know, from the U being a University of Miami Hurricanes fan. I know this is going to be a tough show for you to bear with us tonight, but oh, Dr. Ray, it's Billy Corbin. He doesn't only do documentaries about the U. He also has other documentaries about, mostly about, uh, our way of life down here in Miami, Florida. You know, Cocaine Cowboys back in the 80s. Now he has a new doc about uh, illegal street fighting called Dog Fight. So we're going to be talking to him uh, about all his films and about Miami. You know, Miami. You're a Miami boy, so you'll be fine. Listen, man, I, I'm, I'm excited regardless. I, I'm an FSU fan. I don't care. For me, the best game of the year, the biggest game of the year is – UMFSU. For me, that's my favorite day of the year, yeah. um, 100%. So I'm excited to talk to Billy about it. I'm excited to talk to him about everything else, too. I mean, 
so much going on um, in these documentaries. And like you said, the way it looked, I mean, Miami was literally built on these things, on, yeah. on these documentaries. So it's going to be great to talk to him and ask him a couple questions. We got some good questions. We got some people that wanted to ask a couple questions as well, too, from online. So we're going to get all that out there. Um, if you guys have any questions for Billy, let us know. You can call in at 347-637-3978. You can tweet us at Dr. Ray T, at Manuel Ferrero, at ISPSO. And if you have any sports questions, um, you can also tweet our sports dwarf, uh, at David Dwork. Uh, he's going to be on a little bit later at the end of the show tonight, and we're going to talk about the Heat clinching third place maybe. We're going to talk about the sluggish start the Marlins are having. We're going to talk all kinds of stuff tonight. Um, but – before we get there, before we get to Billy Corbin, before we talk about the hot list, before we talk about everything, we got to start talking about what happened with Manny and I since our last show. It's been a couple of weeks since we've been on, Manny. So uh, what's been going on, man? What have what, what you been up to since the last show? Oh, me, myself, busy, man. Busy, busy, busy family life. Uh, my son doing a lot of site inspections. I, I just got back uh, a couple of days ago from Ocala. Uh, went out there to do a site inspection at the Ocala Sports Regional Complex. Thank you to the Ocala CVB and the uh, Ocala Hilton, who actually uh, hosted me for, the, for a couple of days out there. It was very nice. It's, it's actually horse country. It's called Horse Country, Dr. Ray, so check that out. Ocala is where the, uh, it's actually where the Florida Turnpike ends when you're going north. So uh, it's a really small town, but they have a really, really nice regional sports complex, which we hope to uh, be hosting some tournaments up there soon, maybe in the next coming months or 2017. We'll see about that, but nothing much, man. Just been busy, 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 man. How about you, doctor? I tell you what, man, I was actually, uh, I was actually, yes, sir, FSU fan. We got Mr. QRU, can't help. Listen, I can't help but love Billy, too, man. I'm a Knowles fan. I'm a Knowles fan, man. But it's great to see, listen, Miami back early in the days, it was awesome, uh, you know, in the 80s, the way that they just dominated and then the Knowles dominated. And it was, to me, in my opinion, the best rivalry in college football. Um, oh, no, without I, a doubt. And I pull for that now all the time, but it's just not the same. So hopefully one day we'll get back there, man, because, like I said, biggest day of the year. But uh, for me, since the last show, uh, this past weekend, I was actually close to Ocala as well, too. I was uh, out there turkey hunting. Here we go again. Oh, uh, we yeah, Here listen. We go again. I, I was I was turkey hunting out there. Uh, didn't see one single turkey. Saw some quail. Uh, but yeah, I had my rifle. I was walking through just in case we ran into a pig or something like that. So, um, so you went hunting for turkeys, but you didn't find any turkeys. I guess you were in the wrong place. Bro. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you could say that. Well, actually, they um, they had just pulled a couple turkeys out of there the weekend before. So, you know, I think that, you know, on, on any plot of land it, it, and anytime you go hunting, I mean, you're not guaranteed to see the animals every time that you go. And that's that's kind of what makes it so great when you do, you know, because it's so what, like. So what you end up doing, you went to Publix and bought a turkey and brought it home for your for your wife. Like, hey, baby, look what I <laughs> I got a whole bunch of turkey chopped up. At the, no, um, no, nah, I didn't do any of that, man. Actually, what I ended up doing was sighting in my rifle. And, and that was really good because I had done this whole job to it took me like a whole entire like i'd say about 48 hours to do this rifle uh glass bedding job to make it much more accurate and it was awesome man it was actually like i was so surprised with you know it was my first time ever doing anything like that and i'm not a gunsmith i'm just a recreational you know uh firearms owner and 
I mean, it was awesome to see like a job that I did do such a good job to the gun. So I was super excited about that. Also, um, I shot through the same hole three times in a row on two different occasions while I was getting it all sighted in. So the definition of that is called a tack driver. And I was like, yeah, my buddy was like, damn, that thing's a tack driver. And I was like, what the hell is a tack driver? And I started reading that in competitions, they actually used to put tacks on the bullseye because everybody would hit the bullseye. So they would put tacks on there and they would see who could actually hit the tack the most square and drive it in the deepest. Gotcha. And that's why they, and that's why they called it a tack driver. So it was pretty cool to uh, read up about that history and, and yes, zeroed in exactly, exactly, man. So uh, it was awesome, man. And I, I was like, I was super excited about that. So I'm ready to, you know, me, to go now with the rifle. For here. Let me ask you, I've never gone hunting. Tell me, talk to me, you know, condensed version of, of your weekend, you know, from start to finish. What goes on when you go on a hunting trip, Dr. Ray? Okay. Okay. So, uh, first of all, I had a lecture about insomnia, um, at Larkin hospital at nine in the morning oh. on Saturday. So as soon as I finished my lecture around 12, I got in the car while I went home, put on all my camo. Cause I knew that right when I got there, we were going to have to get in the woods, drove about four hours just South of Ocala. And I was, uh, I got there, put on my, put on my boots. You got to wear on some really high boots. Uh, yeah, mosquitoes for sure. <laughs> mosquitoes for sure. Actually, there's a thing called a thermocell. I don't go hunting without a thermocell, and, and it's What's basically that? it's a battery op- or it's a, a butane operated thing that burns this like mosquito like citronella type of thing. Really, really makes a big difference for the mosquitoes. Gotcha. Um, so I put that on. I put my turkey vest on. We got on my buddy's four wheeler. We got into the woods, and then we were just creeping through the woods. And he had a blind already set up. So a blind is some like masking that you put up around some trees and stuff so that you can sit behind there and the turkeys and and whatever you're hunting can't really see you move so turkey hunting is a little different you just kind of sit there and you put decoys out and you wait for them there's different styles to hunt but that's the style that we chose so we sit there with a turkey call and you get there and you put everything you set the decoys up and you and you go to where you're behind the blind and then you don't move and you don't make a sound and you just sit there and then you put these turkey calls, and you listen for the turkeys out there. What, are they, what does it sound like? I can't make uh-huh. the noise, man. I can't make the noise. It's like, <laughs> like it's a crazy noise, man. It, but it, it's, uh, it was a lot of fun, oh, man. Yeah. Just sitting there waiting, like you're, you're just intently looking around, like waiting for a turkey to show up. Great. And uh, it was like fun. It is, man, because <laughs> when those when those animals come, it's a big rush, man. Uh, it's a big rush, like, because you, you, you don't, you're not guaranteed every time. So when they, when it finally happens, it's like, bam, your heart starts pumping. You start feeling everything coming. It's awesome, man. And then, yeah, exactly. You sneeze and you ruin the entire day. Exactly. You know, they, you hear, they hear something and they're out of there. So you gotta be, you gotta be really cunning. You gotta be upwind. You get, you know, like all these things that you have to factor in. And, um, so there's a lot that goes into it. Plus, you have to have the right equipment, man. I mean, turkeys actually have 280-degree vision. So they can see almost all the way completely around their bodies, and, and it's amazing. So um, it's definitely a challenge going turkey hunting, and you got to be good with the calls. you got to make the calls. There's three different types of turkey calls, you know, so you got to know how to be able to use them and when to use them. And so it, it's a lot of fun, man. But So that was Saturday night. We got in. Uh, we watched a movie, we had a couple drinks and we just kind of hung out and we went to bed kind of like around 11 because we have to be up and in the woods about a half an hour before the sun comes up. So we were in the woods at 6:30. set up the decoys. As soon as you can see the decoys in the morning where you feel like you can aim and you can start shooting at that, at that range, 
that's when you start doing the turkey calls and trying to call them in. So, you know, again, we were calling and we didn't hear anything. There was one point where there was something in a bush kind of close by, but it was probably an armadillo because nothing ever popped out of there. So, um, you know, nothing, nothing much doing, but again, it was a lot of fun just to be up there. And then, you know, we said, whatever, you know, we're not seeing anything. Let's go sight in this rifle. Um, so for me, it was still a productive weekend because I had done that glass bedding job probably about six months ago and I still hadn't really gotten it sighted in. So, you know, it, it's, it's, it, it was good to get that done. Like I said, still productive, but, um, anyway, man, you know, a lot of fun. And then also, uh, there's been a lot of work on the foundation for, for my brother, um, for the love like RT foundation. We've, uh, put a lot together. We got his Facebook page up and running. So if you're on Facebook, check out Love Like RT Foundation on Facebook. Um, we're we're going to start making a lot of moves with that. Uh, we got the logo set up already. I mean, I'm in love with the logo, man. It's so cool. It just signifies my brother like perfect, man. I mean, it's got a purple heart. It's got a music note. Uh, you know, he was an artist, man. And, and, you know, it's very artistic. So I'm, I'm extremely excited about that. And who we're made, gonna really who start made the logo? That looks really nice. Who made it? Um, actually one of my brother's friends that does graphic design, uh, Jonathan Montalvo, I want to give him a shout out. He did a great job with it. Um, and we try, you know, he sent us a logo and I was like, you know what? I don't know. I I want to rework it a little bit. And we reworked it like three, four, five times. Finally, it was the original man. And it it just worked out perfect, man. It was beautiful. So we, we ended up running with it and that's what we're sticking with. And actually we're having the first event for him, uh, May 6th, which is his birthday. He was going to be 29. We're going to have a happy hour fundraiser at Blue Martini in Kendall, <clears throat> which is one of his favorite spots. So Blue Martini nice. Kendall from 5 to 7 p.m. Um, on Friday, May 6th, Love Like RT. The donations are going to go towards the foundation. We're going to try to have some bracelets and some different things for sale there as well, too, to continue to fundraise. And our mission is going to be to try to help kids, man, that maybe just, you know, again, in the wrong crowd, dealing with the wrong people, thinking that maybe idolizing the wrong people. Uh, the foundation is called the Love Like RT Foundation, um, and it's for my little brother who uh, was murdered uh, back in February, and, you know, he was just with the wrong crowd, unfortunately, so we're going to try to <clears throat> stimulate some change in, in some people and see if we can uh, save some lives, um, you know, and so nobody has to go through the pain that me and my family did, man, it, so, you know, again, Love Like RT Foundation, get out there, like the page, follow us, and... If you know kids, you know, that, that need some guidance, some mentorship, and, you know, they're good kids, but they're just with the wrong crowd, let me know. I'll talk to them personally, and I'll tell them the story about my brother, and, you know, hopefully it, it can persuade them to, uh, to live a better life, man. So that's what it's all about now. Dude, even, even if you just touch one child, man, and you, you save that exactly. kid's life, that's all, that's exactly. all worth it, man. That's awesome for you, dude. And, I'll, you know, you, you got me with anything you need, man, so just let me know. I'll be there, brother. It I appreciate awesome. that, man. I appreciate that, man. So, again, thank you uh, for the support. Thank you for all that. Um, I definitely appreciate it. And uh, why don't we go ahead and take a quick break right now. And while we're waiting for Billy Corbin, uh, we'll we'll go ahead and get the health topic out of the way. Um, if you guys have any trouble sleeping, if you can't fall asleep, if you can't stay asleep, if you, you know, anything like that, it's the number one thing that you can do to actually prevent disease. Things like, things like, uh, cancer, things like um, heart disease, all these types of chronic diseases, they create a big, big problem um, out there. So 100% being insomnia, these types of issues are, are having something to do with that. 
And uh, Mr. Q, we're definitely going to hit you up about that. I actually just donated to the Police Benevolent Association um, a couple weeks ago, man. So we'll hit you up on Twitter for sure about that um, because we want to try to get as much as much as we can together, um, you know, to try to support and to make changes in the community. So, but yeah, so if you guys having trouble sleeping, can't fall asleep, can't stay asleep, you want to listen in, we're going to talk about all the things that affect sleep and, and how it affects your health. And we'll be right back after this quick break, uh, on the hot corner. Listen to the hot corner show every Wednesday night at 7 PM Eastern right here on the ISPS radio podcast channel. Call the show at 347-637-3978 and talk sports and health topics with Dr. Ray plus slow pitch softball from around the world with Manuel T. Ferrero III, fantasy sports, special guests, and more. Call the show now on the special guest call-in hotline at 347-637-3978. Now, bring your A-game because you're about to experience the hot corner. All right, baby, we're back in the game. We're ready to rock and roll. And uh, we're going to talk a, a, just a, a quick second here about some insomnia and what's going on. So I just wanted to let you guys know, again, if you're having trouble sleeping, if you can't stay asleep um, at night, it's definitely a sleeping disorder. And, again, sleeping disorders are the number – not the number one cause, but they're a huge cause when it comes to all types of issues – um, 40 million Americans suffer from chronic long-term sleep disorders, and 20 million suffer from occasional sleeping disorders. $16 billion in medical costs are attributed to this every year, so there's a lot of issues that go along with it. Type 2 diabetes, uh, hormonal changes, cancer, heart disease, all this type of stuff is going on with it. They did a study on rats where rats generally live two to three years, and there's this thing called REM sleep, which is a sleep cycle, and when you go through it, uh, it's how your body rebuilds. It's how you regenerate. It's like recharging your battery. And they deprived rats of REM sleep. And they went from having a three-year lifespan to a five-week lifespan. And when they deprived rats of all sleep, period, they lived only three weeks. So that shows you how important sleep is. If you're having trouble healing and you can't sleep, that's a big problem as well, too. Sleep affects mood. It affects your concentration. It affects your relationships because you're going to be moody and you're going to be, you know, you know, uh, I hate to say it, but bitchy to everybody. I mean, you know, it's just the way it is. You can tell when somebody hasn't slept. You know, everybody yeah. says, don't talk to me until I've had my coffee, right? Definitely. So so imagine if that's every day, right? So sleep can be a big, big problem. And there's a lot of things that go into it. There's a lot of underlying disorders, um, unfortunately. They're having a lot of fun here in Sports Grill, it sounds like. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there's a lot of uh, underlying causes to Sports Grill. And, and they can be physical, they can be chemical, and they can, and they can be emotional. So stress causes 70 to 80% of all doctor's visits. And people who have very high stress or anxiety are four to five times more likely to have a fatal heart attack. So 50% of all strokes are caused by stress. Can you imagine that? So, I mean, it's a big thing. So your hormones can be affected, all these things. So I'm going to give you guys a couple tips for sleeplessness. And what they are is, number one, make sure your room is completely dark. If you have any light in your room, like your gaming console, your TV, whatever the case is, that's something that can actually disrupt what's called your circadian rhythm, which is when your body knows when to sleep and when to wake up. So that light influences uh, that rhythm, and that can throw you off and make it very difficult for you to, to sleep. So 
we definitely, definitely need to make sure that the room is as dark as possible. If you can't darken everything in your room, wear a mask. It's the same, it's the same thing. Uh, don't fall asleep with the TV on. And make sure that you don't watch programs that are like drama and all that kind of stuff right before you go to bed because it's going to change your hormones and, and your neurotransmitters. And if you really are doing all these things, you're, you're exercising, you're meditating, you're doing all these, your room is completely dark and you still can't sleep, you need to go to the doctor, but not your medical doctor because they're going to tell you they can't find anything wrong. Find somebody that does functional medicine that will do a neurotransmitter test for you because you more than likely have some sort of imbalance. Believe it or not, a lot of stomach issues can be underlying causes for that. If you have stomach problems and you can't sleep, sleeping problems or sleeping pills are not the answer. You need to take care of your stomach, and that will probably make a big difference in your health. So, What about your mattress, brother? Mattress makes a big difference, too. you got to be comfortable. Um, I tell people you don't want that firm. You don't want that soft. You want to find something in the middle where it's going to give you support, but it's also going to be something that you can be comfortable on. Um, Mm -hmm. A lot of people want to get this, like, super soft bed, like a hotel bed. But if you sleep in a hotel for too long, you're probably going to have back pain because you don't have enough support. So that's a big deal. you got to be careful with that. But I'll tell you what. Why don't we go ahead and put a pause on the conversation I know we got our special guest on for tonight, so I want to get to him. I'm anxious to get to him. Let's go ahead and, and, and get to our special guest, Billy Corbin. We're going to be right back after this quick break uh, with Billy Corbin, again, the director of Cocaine Cowboys and the U, Parts 1 and 2. And we're going to talk about his most recent film also, Dogfight. We'll be right back after this. Hang tight. Frontier Spine and Healthcare brings you the cutting edge in healthcare with all the newest research and techniques in natural medicine. Although many people share the same symptoms, they all have them for different reasons. Using thorough physical examination and the newest technology in diagnostic testing, we can truly discover why you have the symptoms you do. Remember that good doctors know what you have, but great doctors know why. Call 786-353-HEAL or click www.353heal.com to schedule your appointment and experience the future of medicine today. Predictive preventive and personalized frontier spine and healthcare area code 786-353-HEAL or www.353heal.com all right ladies and gentlemen boys and girls we want to introduce our special guest tonight uh, mr billy corbin billy how you doing tonight my friend I really thought you were going to introduce me by saying if you're suffering from insomnia and having trouble sleeping, well, our next guest will cure that. And I really thought that was going to be the segue. You know what? That actually would have been a great segue. Unfortunately, I just no way, wasn't never, smart man. enough to think of it. No, no, of course not, man. Listen, I, I've been watching your documentaries, obviously, you know, to, to prep for the show. Uh, I wanted to see them over again. There's nothing boring about that at all, man. If you can fall asleep during Cocaine Cowboys or even you, I mean, you really got a problem. Insomnia is not your only problem. There's something else that's going on, man. Uh, but listen, man, how you doing? You doing good today or what? I'm fine, thanks. How are you feeling? Man, never better. Um, it's a great night. Manny and I always talk about we love being here on the show. Um, Wednesday nights, it's a great thing to do. So we got a lot of people. Before we before we get into the nitty-gritty, uh, we got somebody from Periscope that wanted us to uh, – to ask you a question, actually, he, he wanted to know, where did you get those tight Guns N' Roses shirts uh, that you're always wearing? Tight Guns N' Roses shirts? He said, he I, said to tell I, you I one, two, two, three. 
I'm sorry, I have, I have three Guns N' Roses shirts, one of which might be a little, little tight to, to squeeze into. <laughs> but I, 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 learned, I learned how to do all of my, my, my shirt size shopping from uh, my friends in the, in the uh, Miami-Dade Police Department. Okay. You want to bust out a little bit. You know what I mean? You want, you want people to be, you know, to, to, to know you got, you got guns and you're ready to use them. If you're yeah, around sun's screaming. out, guns you know, out, you gotta, yeah. Absolutely. Are you kidding? The beach is that way. Absolutely. <laughs> exactly. You know, do you know where the beach is? It's uh, that way. <laughs> you got to right. hit them with the flex, man. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> so, um, so listen, man, um, first of all, I, I really thoroughly enjoyed, you know, the uh, documentaries you made. And, and I want to talk about Cocaine Cowboys first. Um, what is it that inspired you to make this, man? You know, what, uh, what, where, where did it come from? What made you just make this happen? What made you put it all together, put it on film and, and, and distribute it? Well, growing up in Miami, I mean, that's, yeah. that's really what it was for us. It was kind of the story of, and that's kind of what we've been doing for the early part of our career is, at our company, Rack and Tour, we, we've been kind of telling the story, of, or the stories of Miami and our childhood as we knew it and as we remembered it. I mean, that's really what the U is. That's really what Cocaine Cowboys is. I mean, all of these, all of our movies, in a way, are kind of twisted love letters to our to our hometown. Uh, for me, it's kind of an adopted hometown. I was, I'm a native Floridian, but a lifelong Miami, and I, I was born in Fort Myers and then moved down here. Uh, when I was almost three years old with my wife mom, I didn't move like by myself. My family moved down here. I was in a car seat. I didn't have a lot to say in it. Uh, right. But um, and we lived uh, right by the Krispy Kreme in North Miami Beach. You know the original Krispy Kreme uh, still right. there. Um, I can still smell it <laughs> every day. Uh, <laughs> the I, light I, on I right wake now? up. I, uh, always the, the hot ones, <laughs> hot ones, baby. Hot ones, um, go get them, baby. Yeah, but. Um, and, and then, you know, growing up, I remembered my memory of that era of the 1980s. Uh, you know, I, I don't remember drugs. I don't remember uh, murder. I remember crime. I remember this crime in the neighborhood. Um, the police were so overrun, you know, with all of this, this insanity that, that there was a rise in street crime in Miami. So in addition to the Cocaine Cowboys and the Mariolitos, um, you know, kind of flooding the streets, you then had just street-level criminals realizing that they could – get away with just about anything because the police were totally overworked and, and totally outgunned uh, at the time. So I remember crime, but more importantly, I remember money. In, in, you know, we lived in like a, you know, like a working class, you know, middle class uh, neighborhood in North Miami Beach, but everybody had a toy. You know, like people were doing really well. You know, someone would have a Porsche in the driveway. Someone would be adding a second story or, a, you know, a new addition to their, to their home. Everybody was, was doing well. None of these people were in the drug business, mind you, but they were all, you know, they were car dealers or they were real estate developers or they, you know, had grocery stores or, you know, retail stores. But everybody in Miami was doing well. It really is the only, I think, that I'm aware of, the only kind of real-life case study uh, of Reagan's trickle-down economics at work, successful. You know, it actually, because there was just so much cash around that everybody was able to to partake uh, in it. And so I remembered that growing up. And then we went, um, so Alfred Spellman and David Sipkin, my, my, my producing partners and the co-founders of, of Rack and Tour, we'd always wanted to tell that story of Miami in that era. And so we, we went to um, the uh, Florida Moving Image Archives, which is an extraordinary resource 
now at Miami Dade at the Wolfson campus, which just has decades and decades worth of archive news footage and film footage of Miami from back in the day. And so we went there and we got hours, I mean, just ridiculous hours, hours of news footage from Miami in the 70s and 80s. And I, I took it, we took it home and we started watching it and screening it. And I can curse, right? This is, uh, yeah. this is internet radio. Right, because I fine. said to my mother, I said, Mom, what the fuck were you thinking raising children in Miami in the <laughs> 80s? Like, what are you, like, how irresponsible, you know, were you? Because, like, it was one thing watching the local news, like, growing up, you know, like, sitting 5 p.m., mom's making dinner, you're doing your homework at the kitchen table, and then local news comes on, and there's crazy stories. But this, we watched them all together, you know, at one time. Right. And it was like, it condensed the decade in crime before our very eyes, and it was it was kind of petrifying, and a lot of people cite that actually the the local news footage is kind of a highlight. Well, I mean, depending on how you look at it, of cocaine cowboys, just with all the the money and the murder and the and and, and the mayhem, and that's really what what got it all started. Yeah, man. I, one of my favorite parts was, you know, to, kind of towards the kind of towards the end of the cocaine cowboys, the first documentary, when, you know when everything kind of dried up and, and the police finally made, you know, the, the busts and they kind of got everybody out and, you know, there was people that were speculating that eventually it was going to happen. And that's really what Miami was built on. Those people that had made their money off of, off of all that, not the drug dealers, but like you said, the car dealers and this and that, and, and they took the money and they built what is the skyline now, the skyscrapers and Brickle. And like, I mean, it's just, it's crazy to think about how all that was, and, and just crazy to think about how much drugs influence. I mean, it's just it just blows my mind, man. And and, and well, that was the the thesis statement, you know, that that the drug money, you know, the narco dollars that flooded Miami in that period essentially found its way into everything, every industry. And then, of course, ultimately, we only really have two industries: that's tourism and real estate. Uh, so, eventually, found its way into infrastructure and into real estate, and helped you know buttress a down economy and really helped to develop uh, the skyline as we know it. And it's still happening. You know, we've been talking about it for 10 years, but the Panama Papers finally officially followed the money and revealed that uh, money laundering uh, is actually a significant part of, uh, and shady money from all, you know, South America and Eastern Europe and Russia is a significant part of the Miami economy uh, today because you have billions of dollars in cash uh, wire transfers and these real estate transactions for luxury condos uh, and homes that is that is still keeping uh, Miami's economy afloat. Well, that of course in Medicare fraud. To be fair. Of course, of Medicare. course, Medicare fraud. <laughs> <laughs> now, Billy, uh, it's Manny. Thank you for again, my friend, to uh, for bringing for coming on the show with us tonight. Um, Billy, your your Miami documentaries they obviously they're they're filmed down here and they're they're about. Miami, but what did you want your viewers to take from from these documentaries about Miami? Well, you know, I, I always say that, that this is a popular saying that I don't know who coined it. I'll, I'll attribute it to Anonymous, but I think I've probably popularized it uh, in, in recent years because I say it all the time, but Los Angeles is where you go when you want to be somebody. New York is where you go when you are somebody, and Miami is where you go when you want to be somebody else. <laughs> and it's in Miami in particular and Florida in general has always been a sunny place for shady, shady people. people. Uh, it's, it's always been it. like that, you know, and, and Carl, as Carl Hyacin says, we manufacture nothing in Florida, but oranges and handguns. That's all we produce. There's no, 
indigenous industry here. And so when you come to Florida, Miami in particular, what the hell do you do? You know, there's no, you know the, the job opportunities are all pretty much designed to attract, you know, the newcomers tomorrow, you know, and, and it's all hospitality and real estate and construction and, and all of these kinds of things, um, you know, or, you know, there's always politics, corruption and cronyism. That's also a very prominent, uh, a prominent uh, 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 sector in the Florida economy. Um, but but I, I think that, that people, the Miami has always been like America's Casablanca. It's a place where nobody really cares who you are, where you come from, or where your money comes from, as long as the champagne's flowing and the, the checks are clearing, nobody asks questions. We have a very permissive environment because we have a you know la- we have a, a transient population and a lack of institutional memory. You know, very you know now we're starting to see generational families here. You know, people who've been here uh, for multiple generations. But a lot of times, especially when I was growing up. And until very recently, you'd have people who lived here for 60, 50, 70 years, and you'd say, where are you from? And they go, Philadelphia, Chicago, New York. You know, they're, oh, everybody's always from, from someplace else. Finally, you're kind of, you kind of have a, the 305 till I die generation, you know, coming up in the last probably 10, 20 years or so. People who are stakeholders and identify with being here. But the truth of the matter is, is that, like, we just have the best stories here. You know, we just have the, the most interesting people um, you know, if you just we're, we're the end of the line down here. So if anybody's running from anything, as Edna Buchanan says, you know, eventually they wind up here if they run far enough. And 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 it's not a coincidence that most of the fugitives on America's Most Wanted eventually get captured, usually someplace in uh, in Florida. You know, and sometimes they, and sometimes they've been living here for like 30 years under a new name, and nobody thought anything of it. You know, <laughs> and, and that's just Nothing. but that's just Miami. That's that's just the environment. Um, you know that, that that we're in here. And to tell you the truth, I'm I'm kind of proud of that, man. I I love Miami for that, man. <laughs> I, I I don't I would never even consider living anywhere else on on this planet. I love Miami, man. And listen, I, I think the problem is we have to start taking a little responsibility though and making this uh, a better place. I think the problem yeah. is you know it's like it's Miami. It's not your Miami or our Miami. It's my fucking Miami. You know, so everybody yeah. like drives that way and acts that way. Everybody's very self-centered and, and, and selfish. Yeah. And, you know, Miami-Dade County, we have 34 different municipalities. That's a lot of mayors. You know, that's a, a lot of places where there's no accountability and there's nobody actually in charge because everybody gets to point the finger someplace else. You know, I mean, look at Opalaka. The FBI surrounded City Hall with, like, you know, in flak jackets and raided City Hall and took out documents. And, and the feds are now saying that the city of Opalaka the government was functioning as a criminal enterprise for crying out loud. Oh. Like that's no, that's no bueno, you know. So you, so this is the problem though. Is is there's the misconception about Miami that we're a melting pot, but I always say we're much more akin to a TV dinner where sometimes the peas fall over into the mashed potatoes because we self-segregate and nobody in Little Havana gives a shit about what's going on in Liberty City and nobody in Liberty City cares about Aventura. Nobody in Aventura cares about Coconut Grove and nobody in Coconut Grove cares about Miami Gardens and nobody in Miami Gardens cares about Homestead and, and so everybody just seems to feel like they're in their own world but truth be told when kids are dying in the street somewhere in Miami-Dade. It's all of our problem. It's our yeah. AMI, and we have to own it, and we have to work together to, to do something about it and stop just thinking it's somebody else's problem. Listen, man, I, I couldn't agree with you uh, anymore. <clears throat> Got to clap that up, man. 100%. Um, 
you know, I'm sure you're not aware of it, but my little brother was actually murdered uh, in February. Um, guns, I mean, you know, and, and in my hometown of Kendall, where there's like no, no, nothing that ever happens around there. I mean, I grew up there for 23 years. Barely ever even saw any cops around there. And, you know, it's it's there. And my fiance was like, it's just crazy to think that this is here and it's happening like right in front of our face because, you know, you live in Pinecrest, Kendall, Palmetto Bay, this kind of area. Like you're kind of sheltered. You're not Opalaka. You're not Little Havana. You're not. But it's here and it's it's everywhere. And we got to make a difference and we got to, you know, take back our city, man, basically. And and. So thank you for bringing this awareness to, uh, you know, to the level of people that and maybe not knowing that it's there. You know, it, it's super important and it starts with awareness. That's the big thing. So, you know, whatever we can do to support you on whatever scale it is uh, to bring that awareness out, man, that's what we're here for. Um, I also started a foundation for my little brother called the Love Like RT Foundation to uh, to try to get this story out as well, too. And and just try to help kids realize, man, like, listen, that's not the life you want. There's one way out and it's in a box and. It's not cool, man. You know, it's it's you're affecting a lot of people's lives, and and it's everybody's like you said, self entitled. Everybody thinks they deserve everything. Everybody is, you know, self centered. No, nothing else matters but their lives, and and that's just not the way it is, man. It, you know, hold the door for somebody, say thank you. I mean, all these little things that you just don't see in Miami, but you know, you drive two hours north, and it, it's like a completely different world. So, um, I'm with you, man, a hundred percent. Well, maybe you have to drive three hours north. That's or true. you might you might or, be right. Or like ninety minutes west, you know, like Naples. <laughs> yeah. or so. And, then, and yeah. then people tend to start driving better and being nicer to each other. Right. <laughs> yeah. No, it's true. Yeah, you might be right, man. But um, well, listen, let's let's talk a little bit about the U. Uh, I know man, I know Manny's interested. I, I'm a big Knowles fan. I know you went to UM. I wanted to well, ask. Well, nobody's you. perfect. Nobody's well, perfect. Yeah. Brain, Everybody makes mistakes, right? But listen, Billy, what do you think is the best rivalry in college football? Oh, I don't think that there's any question that uh, that Miami FSU. I honestly don't think there's any doubt about that. I mean, but but I but I mean objectively. Obviously, I'm I'm completely unobjective. I'm completely subjective about it. But if you just you just look at it, I mean, it's just there, there's no other. I don't know of any other state that has two powerhouse teams with with that much talent, with that much uh, you know, with that many championships. Um, th- that have gone back and forth, you know, through, the pendulum's kind of swung through, you know, th- through, through a, a streak of success in each program. But you've also got the in-state thing matters because you've got kids who are rivals all the way from childhood, you know, and yeah, I right. that, that plays into it. And, of course, the, the, the programs are rivals for those recruits as well. So odds are... You know, if a kid's at, at, at University of Miami or a kid's at, at FSU, they were courted or, you know, recruited by the other school. So there's that extra kind of punch there, you know, that, that kind of fuels uh, fuels that, 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 that Osceola flame, you know, that cheap Osceola flame. Um, and I think it just makes it that much more exciting. I just can't think of uh, – there's great rivalries in, in sports, but I can't think of one that's more interesting or more intense – or more fun than that one, and I, I think I don't think I'm alone. You just need to look at the at the rating of those games every year. I mean, right, you know, as far as regular season uh, college football games are concerned, even when one of the teams sucks, I mean, the ratings are you know they're, they're consistently the highest rated regular season games uh, year after year after year. Uh, man, I'm with you, uh, Billy. I got to apologize real quick. Oh, it's coming. Oh. No, it's a coming. You never know what's going to happen. It's a 
When you said nothing happens in Kendall, I thought you were going to say nothing good happens in Kendall. <laughs> <laughs> you might be right, man. Nothing good. What, what happens in Kendall stays in Kendall, man. A hundred percent. Many. I wish that were what, true. I wish you drivers would stay there too. This is uh, oh, yeah. the deal that uh, we're going to offer for Shrimp tacos. Shrimp tacos. Are you are you guys getting tasered? What is happening over there? No, this is actually the halftime. It's our it's our sports girl halftime, and sports girl sends us out something every every show. Um, Today we got shrimp tacos, and they look delicious, man. Billy, you got to come down and you got to get some of these, man. We talked about getting you some uh, special grilled ribs, I think, right? Ribs. He wanted ribs. We yeah, well, get I thought when you invited me on the show, I thought you were inviting me to come to the restaurant and do the show live with you. And well, listen. As it turns out, I'm really glad you didn't do that because it was an accident, a, a motorcycle accident. A de- actually, it was a fatality, and I'm stuck in Miami Beach. You can't go anywhere. Oh, wow. man. That's never good. Well, you know, maybe it was a Kendall driver up there, man. Um, <laughs> and it was in, I was in the express lane, so someone paid for that, which is all oh, the more tragic. Yeah, wow. that's even worse. I've heard that those express lanes are really dangerous up there, man, actually. Like, people speeding through and then people trying to, like, sneak onto the express lane. It's crazy, man. You, you might have to make a documentary about that, man. Just that in itself is, like, a treacherous thing. What about Miami there. traffic in general? Make a documentary yeah. on that. Jeez. Oh, it's, it's the worst. I mean, I mean, we have ourselves, you know, the, these freeways, these highways that we're supposed to um, – that we're supposed to pay for, our tax dollars are supposed to go to, and the, the Florida Department of Transportation basically stole them and are now charging us to use our own roads. I mean, it's a pretty crazy, right. crazy money grab, and it was not for safety. This was purely for money, um, because yeah. if you look, the 95 has become substantially more dangerous since they started installing these things, the, the, the number of accidents and the number of, of fatal uh, accidents has gone up uh, exponentially. And you even have the, the union of F- FHP, of Florida Highway Patrol Troopers, they won't even get out of their vehicles uh, to, to write tickets because they actually made the emergency shoulders smaller in order to accommodate these lanes so they could charge us upwards of, what, 10 to 50 And now they're talking about possibly even doubling it to as much as $20 during peak rush hour time. It's basically, it's literally highway robbery. Literally, highway robbery. literally in, in Kendall. Literally, bro, like, literally highway robbery. And they've created this all-new, they, they not only made it more dangerous with the smaller um, uh, emergency shoulders, where you, you really have... You have police officers and troopers and people who, even if, when they have an accident or they pull over to the side of the road, they get killed just standing there because people are, are flying, flying by and much closer than they ever were before. And then you have the pole jumpers. You know, the pole jumpers that are that – are, you've seen this – I see this happen almost every single day that I'm on 95. Yeah. Someone dives out in or out of the express lane, and sometimes you have traffic that's at a standstill or someone who's going 80 miles an hour, and that's a whole new thing. That's a whole new element of danger that never existed on I-95 right. before, and they've invented that. I mean, that's a brand-new threat that, are, that is literally costing people lives that the Florida Department of Transportation, they have blood on their hands. They have the blood of men, women, and children who have died and will die so that they can make money to charge us to drive on the roads that our tax dollars have already have paid, already to, paid. To, to finance. Exactly. It's outrageous. They're, they're That's double outrageous. Dipping. 
outrageous. It outrageous. literally happened to me the other day. I was driving to somewhere in North Miami, and I was going to a seminar about leaky gut or something like that up in uh, up in North Miami by the FIU campus, and I was driving about 70 miles an hour in the express lane, and it was it was eight dollars and fifty cents, and somebody literally jumped out in front of me, and I had to swerve into the other lane. Thank God I'm always yep. looking at my mirrors. I was like, what the hell is this? Somebody just jumped into the express lane. I'm like, yeah. what is going Man, something's got to be done about that, man. So, And, and, and that's, it's even worse than the red light cameras, which are a total spoondoggle as well. That's a total scam. But it's worse because the red light cameras, while they're also for, that's for money, not for safety, people aren't dying the way they're dying because of these express lanes. There's no question that they've made I-95 more dangerous, more deadly, just to make money. I mean, and that's despicable. That's criminal. Yeah, man. I'm with you, man. Well, listen, Billy, while we got you, man, uh, it sounds like you want to just rant about some stuff, man. Is there anything else, Miami, that we need to fix? Like, what what can we do, man? Let's make a movement, man. <laughs> What's up, Kendall. man? Fix all of Kendall. No, <laughs> if, honestly, if I were, if I were, if I were, if I could just be king for a day, I would introduce brand new turn signal technology to Kendall. I would bring it down <laughs> to you guys myself. Automatic. I would, it would be, it would be like, it would be like the, you know, the caveman that, 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 that discovered fire. It would be like, woo, you guys would just be like totally blown away uh, by it. I mean, really. I bet you I you'll mean, have some honestly, drivers that have no idea what, the, what a, a turn signal is. You mean if I push oh, this down, my blinker will turn on? <laughs> no, I mean, listen, if, if FIU wants to be a world-class institution, they should teach their students how to use fucking turn signals. I'm just saying, oh okay, God. and it's... It's wow. pretty clear. Now, listen, I don't want to shit talk because I went to New World School of the Arts for high school, so I was dual enrolled in what was called Miami-Dade Community College. You know, at the time, now it's, of course, MDC. And I really appreciate them, especially for those I am MDC stickers on the backs of cars so we know who the shittiest drivers in yeah. Miami are. Um, <laughs> clearly, clearly, I am MDC is Spanish for I have no turn signal. I didn't know that, but I... I put that into Google Translate and, and learned, and learned about that. It. But that's the thing is, like, people just need to be nicer to each other. It's like Miami yeah. is our Amy. It's a shared experience. It's a collective experience. We're all frustrated. We're all out there dealing with the same bullshit. You know, where you have to go is not so much more important than where I have to go, that you have to be an asshole just to get two or three car lengths ahead of me. If people were just nicer to each other, then I feel like we, we, would, we would all just have – it would add years back to the end of our lives, you know, the stress of, of living in this beautiful place. There's no reason to be so mean to each other. You know, there's no reason to be so rude if we would just be, you know, treat each other with more courtesy and be more polite and really just be treated the way we want to be treated. It goes back exactly. to the, the golden rule, you know, and, 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 um, you know and, and, and I really feel like that's what we need in Miami. We just need people to feel like I'm a stakeholder. This is my home I want this to be a better place, a friendlier place, and and we just need to be nicer to each other. Man, 100%. so Billy, when are when are you running for office, Billy? Oh, I'm not. Please, I'm not running for anything. Uh, I feel like there's some people who can you you can affect. I think a lot more change from the outside yep, than you ever can definitely. from the inside because you know the inside is just you know there's such systemic uh, uh, corruption and systemic failure. Of our, of our institutions in this country, and particularly in this community. I mean, who can you trust? Who do you trust? Do you trust the presidency? Do you trust the Congress? Do you trust the oh. post office? 
You know, do you trust the NRA? Do you trust the church? Do you trust do you trust the NCAA? All of these institutions no. that we grew up, oh, you're supposed to trust the police. You're supposed to trust – nobody trusts anybody anymore, you know, because right. – because absolute power corrupts absolutely, and everybody seems to be just in it for themselves. I mean, being that of every, you know, public service, you know, being in the public sector used to be, they used to call it public service. Now that's a bunch of bullshit. It pays better than the, than the, than the private sector in many cases. And then you have people who just totally feed at the public trough for an entire career. You've got career politicians who I have no idea how they make a living. They just do it feeding off of the the blood and sweat and soul of America's working class that, that they're literally bleeding dry uh, at, at this point. And so I just don't really think – I think the, the system is so corrupt and so poisoned and so broken, it's almost impossible to change it from the inside, meaning you just become a part of the system when you run for office or you, or you join the public sector. You know, you just get this sense of entitlement and you just realize, okay, how do I just bleed this whole thing dry to benefit myself and my family, you know, and not what I can do for, for everybody and what I can do to, to make my community better or make life better for my people or my constituents. And so I feel like more empowered, you know, outside of the system, you know, calling out the system. Uh, you know, to, to actually affect, because that's what happens is government almost needs to be embarrassed before they'll do anything about, right. you know, about anything. They need to be called out. You need to shine a spotlight on these abuses in order to effectuate change. And you can't shine. It's almost impossible to, to, to shine a spotlight from within. You have to do it from the outside. So that's what I, that's my, that's my passion. Yeah, man. I well, I, I respect you for it, man. You know, we need Harvey Dent and we need uh, Jim Gordon, man. Like we, we need somebody to get in there and have a different attitude. I mean, but uh, again, that's only a movie and it's not going to happen. And, and that's why we no, need guys I, like you. I totally understand where Billy's coming from because me personally, I have, um, it, it's true. You, you, you bitch enough at these people and you, you constantly harass, not harass them, but bother, bother them, send them emails, call their offices. And eventually, you know, just to get the, get you out of their hair, they'll, they'll end up, fixing something or, or, or doing whatever you need them to do or whatnot, but it's true. It's And especially it's when you're right. Especially exactly. when you're right. You know, I, I try to be fair. You know, I try to point out the good stuff when I can. I know it's a little overwhelming because there's so much, you know, bad stuff <laughs> to report right. and, and so many injustices in the world to to try to, to, try to write. Um, but I try to be fair and I try to be sort of selective because, you know, you, you – I think shame. That's really what and someone in government once said that to me. Someone who works for a local municipality once said, "We need to be shamed. <laughs> like as government, we need to be shamed before we'll actually do anything about it." So when you call us out, when we get embarrassed and we're like, "Oh shit, we have to do something about this," that's the right. only way to make it happen, you know. And I think that's yeah. a really, a really, a really keen observation. And they move, and they move pretty quickly once you once you get it, once you get them to get shamed out. Oh, yeah, and like I said, especially when you're right, especially when you're exactly. right, and people can respect you for saying, like, okay, well, we, we screwed up, you were right, we were wrong, we're gonna, now that you've called us out on it, we're going to do something, we're going to do something right. about it, you know, and, and, right. and listen, government isn't all that bad, as I like to say, even a broken clock is right twice a day, um, but, but Miami-Dade Commission today killed an effort to start charging for the Metro Mover in downtown Miami. I mean, that's a, that was a bad idea that they actually didn't do. Uh, <laughs> and they, they enact so many bad ideas that it's nice to see them get one right 
uh, for a change. So I have to say that there was a really, we have enough transportation problems, as we've already been talking about in this community as it is, um, and ridership is up in no small part because it's free and, uh, and it's available, you know, to folks in, in, right. in, in, a, in a, an exploding downtown Brickell uh, area. And so they got one right. So shout out to the Miami-Dade County Commission. There you yeah, go. Our, our good friend, uh, Mr. Francis Suarez, was a good friend of the show, man. Shout out to him. He's a great guy, man. But, Billy. That city of, that city of Miami. See how confusing this is? You see oh, how confusing Lord. this is? That's All right. All these municipalities, who's in charge? I was talking about the county commission. You're talking about the city of Miami commission. Nobody knows what the hell's well, going but, on but the Metro That's Hoover, why they can get away with everything. The Metro Mover isn't in, inside city of Miami? Yes, but it's but it's Miami-Dade County Transit. It's the county oh, that controls. There you go. You see, nobody. This is why it, it, it's not you. Everybody. I mean, even the Miami Herald sometimes reports the wrong jurisdiction of a police department involved in certain you know incidents because nobody knows where the hell anybody is and nobody's in charge. And there's no. Wow. That's why I said there's no leadership or accountability because it's it's impossible. We've got 34 different municipalities. I think Opelika is probably going to uh, to disappear, but they're talking about creating even more. You know, how many mayors do we need to, to, to fuck up Miami-Dade County? You know? <laughs> <It's> like... <laughs> Yeah, man, it's, it's it's crazy, man. It really is. It really is. But uh, listen, Billy, man, we want to thank you so much for for coming on the show here tonight. I wanted Manny's to I wanted to ask, ask him. Ask, baby, I know ask. we're we're running a little late, but I, I wanted to go back to the U, man. I, I'm sorry to to cut you off, Billy, but um, no, please talk to me about the U. Why I know. You know, everybody here in Miami knows about the University of Miami, our legacy, our history. But why did you make this documentary about the U? Is it to, to show the rest of the nation, you know, that we are the badasses in, in college football? Sorry, Dr. Ray. Sorry. All right, man. Well, I, I, think, <laughs> I think that it goes back to Choking Cowboys. Again, these are stories from our childhood that, that aren't just local stories as evidenced by the popularity of of the U on ESPN and, and Cocaine Cowboys, these are not just like local, you know, you know, PBS affiliate kind of documentaries. These are things that have captivated the imagination of the entire world. I was just talking to a guy in Colombia who, who I, I, he said, he goes, I know Cocaine Cowboys and I love that. He said, but the U is my favorite. I didn't even know they, they were interested in American football, you know, down awesome. in Colombia. Um, I thought that was very interesting, but I, I think it was just a matter of, of, again, trying to tell one of these great Miami stories. And the University of Miami did something kind of extraordinary. Um, they were not the first to do it, but they certainly revolutionized it in the modern uh, era of college sports, which is go into communities and give young men an opportunity uh, to have an education and to make a better life for themselves and their families uh, by, by giving them a scholarship to play football at this otherwise very expensive, very unattainable, exclusive private school in, in Coral Gables, Florida. And everybody, as you know, in the state of Florida uh, started to duplicate uh, that, that strategy, that recruiting strategy, and then everybody all over the country uh, started to come to Florida and, and go into their own inner cities to find some of the hungriest and most talented young men uh, in the history of, of, of football, most of whom have come out of Florida, actually, in the NFL, you know, talent-wise. Um, you know, I always say they need to change. The NFL actually stands for uh, National Florida League, you know, because right. of all the extraordinary talent uh, that, have come, that, that has come out of uh, Florida into the, into the league. And um, I just wow. think that, that, you know, Miami deserves a lot of credit for, you know, for, for, for giving young people an opportunity who might not have otherwise 
received it, not just at the University of Miami, but again, you know, this blueprint that they created uh, uh, for recruiting college football players that I think you go all the way, you go across the country to USC, you know, they're doing exactly, they've been doing exactly the same thing that Miami, uh, that Miami uh, started. One last question about the U, Billy. Did they steal yeah. the 2001 national championship from us? Oh, the 2002. Uh, oh, sorry, 2002. Did they steal that from us, Ohio State? The, well, actually, the referees. Well, yeah, Ohio State didn't didn't steal it. Uh, you know, um, but it, listen, if you ask, uh, it, it, you know, we we really played it up in the U part too. You know, that incredible moment, but you know, by between when the game ended and Miami had gotten two national championships in a row, and then when Terry Porter, that referee, had had, had dropped that, that flag on the ground, which is obviously much faster in real life than it was in, in the movie, but we kind of play it in slow motion, going right. through the, you know, the emotions that all the players and coaches were experiencing in those, in those seven seconds uh, or, or, or so. But the truth of the matter is, is you ask the, the Miami players, they certainly feel robbed. But the truth of the matter is, is they had ample opportunity both before that flag and after that flag to win the game, you know, and, and they just, they didn't, you know, they, they didn't perform, uh, uh, you know, uh, they had obviously devastating injury uh, with Willis, you know, Willis McGahee. They, they, they weren't really able to perform. And then afterwards, they were never able to kind of psychologically get their heads back into the game after that extraordinarily, the extraordinary release of, 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 you know, of, of adrenaline when they realize they won. And now you have to go back there. I think Brian McKinney described it really well, just like getting your head back in the game was like, yeah. we won, but now we lost. Whereas Ohio State was like, we lost, but oh shit, now we won. Now, I mean, now we have another chance, rather, to win. So their energy and their momentum, if you believe in momentum, which I don't really believe in, it certainly shifted. You know, the energy certainly shifted after that and listen Miami had to make a few plays and they and they didn't make it and and, and the you know and, and the players will tell you that they'll admit that you know if they played the game better it wouldn't have come down to that flag you know it wouldn't have come down to that to that last play and it shouldn't have well I mean I'll tell you what I I, I for one do believe in momentum especially in college football because when you play with such emotion and you play with such pride and those kinds of things you know when How many how many shrimp tacos how many, can you eat? How many shrimp tacos can you eat in one night? <laughs> I pressed it by mistake, that's guys. A, that's our producer not knowing what he's doing on the soundboard over there. <laughs> no, um, what I was saying was, I mean, you're in the stadium and you can feel it, man. When the, you know when somebody makes a big play on the on the away team, you know something like that. And I remember that. I remember I literally said, "Wow, that's going to change the momentum." At that exact moment. And, you know, I was watching, hopefully, that Ohio State was going to win since I'm a Knowles fan. Um, but, listen, <laughs> Did I you love, have to I put in your two cents there, bro? Miami. I love Miami. I actually yeah. root for the U all the time, man. I do because, for me, the best day of the year is UM versus FSU. And if UM wins every other game, when we beat them, it's even better for us. So, I'm excited about that, man. But, listen, Billy, I wanted to ask you one more thing. Dog sure. fight, man. Talk to us about yes. it. What, what, tell us about it. I mean, I personally love watching these backyard fights, and I remember when Kimbo Slice first came out a long time ago and all this stuff. Everybody's like, P-Rod, P-Rod. You know, what, what inspired you to make Dogfight, man? Tell, tell us about that a little bit. Well, Dogfight, first thing I should do is spell it. It's D-A-W-G. Uh, for, we worked on that project for many years, and people thought we were, we were doing a 30 for 30 about Michael Vick, you know, because it was Dogfight. <laughs> um, oh. But it is... <laughs> 
as you said, it's about you know the un, the unsanctioned bare knuckle brawls in Southwest Miami Dade in Pirine, um, and and specifically the guy Dada Five Thousand, who was a former protege uh, who had a falling out, some beef with with Kimbo Slice and Team Kimbo, and he decided to organize the backyard brawls, make them into actual events where he would uh, he built a twelve by twelve ring in his mom's uh, backyard and started selling tickets uh, wow. to Saturday night fights or Saturday daytime fights. It, it's too dark. Uh, you know, they didn't have the lights to, to do them at nighttime. But um, wow. Saturday afternoon events with great food, families would come out and they'd watch these, these fighters that Dada would recruit. He would weigh them in on his mom's broken bathroom scale, and he would go oh on a, a card of five, six, seven, eight, eight fights. And it started to blow up because fighters wanted the opportunity. And this was the business model really, of, uh, of Kimbo Slice, who was the godfather of that game, where you'd videotape a backyard brawl, you'd put it up online, and you'd hope to get discovered by professional MMA trainers or promoters so you could go pro. And um, that happened. I mean, we, we watched it uh, over the almost two years that we were filming Dogfight. We saw at least three or four fighters go pro directly from the backyard and at least two guys that didn't live that long. And uh, wow. Dogfight is, is streaming is streaming now on Netflix, and we just started production uh, in December on Dogfight 2. Um, and just just this morning, I was um, at ESPN Studio at the Clevelander on Ocean Drive in, in Miami Beach on the Dan Levitard show with um, Dada 5000, who uh, people might have read a little something about his fight with, with Kimbo Slice. They were finally going to, uh, you know, end that beef in the ring um, at Bellator 149 in Houston, Texas, and it was the largest, I mean, one of the, one of the highest rated Bellator event ever. It also beat out UFC. Uh, it was hugely successful, and Dada 5000 actually died uh, yeah. uh, in that fight uh, <laughs> twice. He, our intern, his heart our intern Chris, doing some, uh, doing some research on your films, he, he brought that up for us, that Dada actually died, and he saw his spirit lift from his body. <laughs> he, he, did, he, did, he did not say that. That was some MMA blogger that, that took something he said in the interview out of context. The interview is available. Okay. Uh, Dada's heart stopped twice. He coded twice. Um, wow. And, and the doctors were able to, you know, with, with, <laughs> with CPR, were able to bring him back to life. I was there wow. um, the entire time uh, with him and his family in the hospital for over a week in, uh, in Houston and then in Miami. And uh, it was a pretty extraordinary thing. I mean, it was like Apollo Creed at the beginning of, of Rocky IV. Spoiler alert, right. Apollo dies. I mean, that was from, yeah. you know, nobody knows that. That was like from 1987. Uh, <laughs> spoiler alert. <laughs> uh, but Dada comes back to life. I mean, it's, it's, an extraordinary, it's an extraordinary story. And anybody who saw that fight, it was a bit of a shit show, admittedly. But Dada went down swinging. I mean, he had renal failure, his kidneys failed, and then he had a heart attack in the ring and his heart stopped twice and yeah. um, he was still swinging. And, and, and as he said today in the interview, Kimbo did not touch him when he went down, you know, yeah. he was on the other side of the ring. Dada, you know, yeah. Kimbo slice did not beat Dada 5,000 Dada's body really, you know, beat him Gave up. Um, in that, in that yeah. fight. Yeah. And, yeah. I was going to say, would you consider that a technical knockout, you know, but uh, I mean, I guess that really is the, the definition of it, man. I, I had no idea that happened. I, I was well, in got, here, you know. Got, it was it was considered a TKO, uh, but then the drug test results came back, and Kimbo Slice tested positive, and so uh. they took the fight. They took the fight. They took the win 
away from him, it's now considered uh, whatever. I, I don't know what they. It's not a win for Dada, but, but it, 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 yeah, it's basically right. it just doesn't count. Um, right. So Dada's professional record is actually still two and zero. Two wins. He's undefeated. Two, two fights, two knockouts, um, and he just started talking today about possibly fighting again, which I think is insanity, particularly because he started this new uh, fight league, BYG, a legitimate league, where he's taking some of these backyard fighters and trying to make them into real professionals in this BYB extreme uh, company. They built this ridiculously expensive, gigantic triangular cage, and they wow. fight in a triangle. It's wild. I mean, there's like no place to run. It's like that's more confined. Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. Yeah, and it's crazy. And there's no rounds. It's just ding and go until wow. you oh, know, no you get knocked out. Uh, you get knocked out. You submit, or the referee stops the fight. It's, wow. it's pretty wild. Man, that's like a fight to the death, man. That's crazy. Huh? Well, listen, he, he's been there before, and he's come back from it. So, I mean, that's what he's doing now. So, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing that. Um, all you, all you guys out there listening, check it out. Moving forward, uh, Billy, man, we want to thank you so much for coming on the show here. Uh, unfortunately, we're out of time. I feel like we can keep talking all night about Miami, man. I guess we all love our city. So, uh, let everybody know again, you know, where they can find you and where they can follow you and where they can see your work that's coming out again uh, before we let you go. Yeah, you can follow or you know ask me questions or whatever. It's uh, at Billy Corbin on Twitter, B I L L Y C O R B E N, or just go to uh, Cocaine Cowboys. Uh, dot com and uh, we're always uh, always out and about you know we're always uh, accessible and always interested in uh, what people have to say about our work and 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 hear and hear everybody's uh, stories particularly about uh, about the uh, the great state of uh, of Florida so thanks for and having Billy. me guys and and next time I want to be there with the sirens and the fish tacos and the ribs hundred percent hundred percent Billy before you go what's what's up next for Rack on Tour. Well, Dogfight 2 won't come out till 2017, but in the fall of 2016, we've got a six-hour documentary miniseries about the life and times of John McAfee. I don't know if you remember McAfee antivirus software, which was like the bane oh, yeah. of our PC's existence in the 90s. Remember the antivirus, uh, yeah. McAfee? Um, and uh, so he sold out of that company for about $100 million back in the mid-90s and then went on a series of kind of millionaire misadventures, um, the most recent of which was in 2012 when he was alleged to have been involved in the murder of his neighbor in Belize, a fellow rich expatriate from Florida, of course, because there's always a Florida connection. There's always a Florida connection. And and McAfee fled the country of Belize, wound up, snuck into Guatemala by boat, and then managed to get the Supreme Court to deport him uh, to America, and of course he ran. He ran long enough and far enough, and where did he come? Miami. Miami. Um, <laughs> and and then he ran around the country claiming that the Belizean government and the Sinaloa cartel uh, had hitmen chasing him, and uh, now he's running for president as the Libertarian, uh, and we'll be back in Florida again in Orlando at the Libertarian National Convention up against up against Governor Gary Johnson, who got the nomination in 2012 to try and be, he might be on the ballot this year in wow. November as the, as the Libertarian candidate for President of the United States, and we're doing six insane hours of television uh, about that story uh, on Spike TV this fall. All right. Nice. Guys look out for it. John McAfee, Spike TV, Billy Corbin, man, thank you again for, uh, for representing our city, man, and, and for educating people about it, too, you know? Like you said, it's a sunny place for, uh, for shady people, man, so... 
Thanks again, Billy. I'm sure we'll have you back on at some point, and we will bring you over here. We'll, we'll get the ribs ready. We'll get it re- we're ready to rock and roll for you, man. Uh, but again, Anytime, thank you so much guys. Get some for sleep. joining us, brother. All right, my man. Thanks, you Billy. Take care. You've just heard the, the Hot, Hot Corner, Corner Show on the ISPS Radio Podcast Network with a softball-playing chiropractor and official chiropractor of ISPS, Dr. Ray Tolmos, and commissioner of international slow-pitch softball, Manuel T. Ferrero III. Remember to follow the show and hosts on Twitter and Facebook at ISPSO, at D-R-R-A-Y-T, We hope you enjoyed the show and invite you to listen in to Dr. Ray and Manuel T. Ferrero III each and every Wednesday night at 7 p.m. Eastern right here on the International Slow Pitch Softball Radio Podcast Channel at ISPSRadio.com. Introducing the amazing iPhone XS you'll love on T-Mobile, the most loved in wireless. It's the perfect way to stay connected to those you heart most. Fall in love with iPhone XS on T-Mobile. And right now, trade in an eligible iPhone and you'll save $300. Visit a store or call 1-800-T-MOBILE. If you cancel service, remaining balance is due. Qualifying service and finance agreements required. $279.99 down plus 30 per month times 24. Full price $999.99. 0% APR for well-qualified buyers plus tax on full price. Allow eight weeks for rebate. It's hard to be healthy when you don't get breakfast. It's hard to recover from open-heart surgery without heat. It's hard to get well when you sleep on the street. It's hard to take care of a baby with untreated depression. Health goes beyond the hospital. At Providence St. Joseph Health, we believe health is a human right. See what we are doing to advocate for the vulnerable and invest in health for all at future.psjhealth.org.